Well, it's good to see all of you this morning. Thank you all for showing up. Um, before we get started, before we come to God's Word, why don't we take some time and pray uh, and seek God's help as we seek to understand what He wants from our lives. So let's pray. Lord and Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you that you call us to be yours, and that you teach us the way uh, that we should love you in return. We love because you first loved us, Lord. And as we seek to honor you with our lives and to understand what you desire of us, may you work in our hearts to not only desire to give it to you, but uh, to not do it so that we might earn your favor, but to glorify you uh, and to add a gratitude for what you've done for us through Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, last week you got the honor of having another Brett talk. Um, Brett told me that went well, so praise God. Um, two weeks ago, we were talking about um, sorrow and suffering, right? A nice, easy topic. So we're, we're still doing the virtues. We're still talking about um, what it means to love God. Uh, we talked about how uh, when we love God with our hearts, right, that means that we have to have this attitude of joy, uh, that joy is a defining characteristic for God's people, right? They are people who are joyful and who rejoice in the Lord uh, and who count it all joy when they go through sufferings. Um, but then we talked about sorrow, right? We talked about the fact that in our lives, we will encounter sorrow. We'll go through times of suffering. And it's, it's part of living in a cursed world, um, but it's also part of how the Lord uh, works in our lives to teach us, uh, to grow us, to help us to trust him more. Uh, so simply the fact that it happens, though, does not mean that sorrow is the defining attribute of God's people. Um, joy is... But the fact that we have suffering is also a testimony that God is working, right? That God is at work in our lives. Uh, and this, this doesn't make sense from a worldly point of view, right? Suffering from a worldly point of view means something's wrong. Um, but it's actually kind of inverted in Scripture where throughout Scripture you see that the people who are actually not loved by God are the people who have it easy. Um, the wicked prosper, right? But the righteous, they suffer, and it doesn't make sense, right? But this is how the Lord uh, has chosen to do things, that he, because he loves his people, right, he doesn't just give them what is easy and nice and comfortable uh, because that's coming, right? There is a hope that we have so that when we apply how we love God with our hearts, right, we're applying our hopes and our desires not to this life, right, not to having comfort and security and stability in this life, but in the next and so having that hope right, enables us to love God with our hearts now in the midst of suffering, uh, to have even joy in suffering, not because, of, you know, because we are these amazing people, but because we have something coming for us, uh, that we're not waiting for the suffering now to finally end in a year so that we can finally do the things that we want to do. Um, but instead, we're looking for a future kingdom uh, that already belongs to us. So... In every case, right, whatever suffering we're going through, whatever sorrows we have, these are all meant to pull us back to God uh, and to reorient us towards, uh, towards him. So we've, uh, we've walked through, right, the last, I don't know, how many months has it been? Four months? Um, what does it mean to love God? Right, we started with loving God with our minds. Um, we have to love him by being patient, right, by, by pursuing truth, um, by seeking to use uh, what God has given us for the goods of others. So we've also talked about when we love God with our hearts that we, we have temperance, right? Meaning we use our liberty not to glorify ourselves, but we use our liberty for the blessings of others. Um, we are called to be humble, 
and to destroy pride. So throughout this whole series, right, we've, we've looked at what does it mean to love God? Uh, and the, the key verse, right, Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your might. So I hope you've seen that throughout this series, right, we've been looking at what it means to love God with your heart, which for us we can more translate as our mind, right, to love him with our soul, meaning our, our hearts, the seats of our desire and our hopes. And now we get to talk about what it means to love God with our might, right? If we love him with our minds and our hearts, our might means our time, our energy, uh, the things that we create and produce, um, all of this you can sum up, right, as loving God with your life. So we love God with our minds, we love him with our hearts, and we love him with our life. John. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, might could include talents or skills, gifts that you have. Um, absolutely. Yeah, life is kind of a, a catch-all. Like, when you love God with your life, it's not just, okay, you you love him when you go and do something in his, for his glory, right? It's everything that you do, all the things that you possess, right? How you use your time and your money and your energy, things like that. So that's our goal, right? To figure out, well, what does that look like? Right? If we're to love God with our lives, what does that look like? How has God called us to express that throughout Scripture? Um, and so our first stop today is probably where a lot of us, if not all of us, spend probably the most amount of time and energy. Uh, work. I guess, uh, I'm guessing that most of you work in some way. You're not sitting around on the couch eating potato chips all day like I do. Right? You have either a job or you have responsibilities, or you are laboring over something. Um, so let's ask this question. If we all do it, why do we do it? Why do we work? What do you think? It's a command of God in Genesis 3.15. Yeah, it's a command. Exactly. The Lord has told us to work. But why has God told us to work? Yeah, it, it, it flows into our lives, right? It's not this fruitless breaking rocks for 12 hours a day, right? Work produces things. Uh, when God put Adam in the garden, he told Adam to work it, to cultivate it, right? To name the animals. These are things that are, that are fruitful. That Adam wasn't just pulling weeds the whole time. He was cultivating a garden, right? He was keeping it and protecting it. Uh, multiple different aspects of how God says, here's, here's your work, right, to keep this garden. And you get to enjoy the, the fruits of that work, right? You can eat of any tree in the garden. So all these trees that Adam is cultivating and working at, he's also getting to, to reap uh, the rewards, right? the produce of that work. So it's not just a necessary evil in our lives, right? Work is actually baked into who we're created to be. It's baked into creation. Um, and it also is fruitful, right? We, we get to have dinner every day because usually because of work, both the work to go earn money and also the work to cook it um, or the work to order it online or whatever you do. Um, right? All of this is, is part of the fruitfulness of it. 
hole and put him in the garden and told him to cultivate it, etc. That was before the fall. Right. And in Revelation 22, 3, it talks about there's no more curse. So <clears throat> he was doing it as it should be. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point, and definitely that's where I'm going. Right? Is okay. So we know that we work because God commands us. That there's a purpose. That it it's fruitful. Um, and yet, right when we look at our own lives, we don't all we don't see that same kind of fruitfulness and purpose and meaning. Um, so something has changed, right? And when I say work, um, just assume that I don't mean only a nine to five job. Right. I also mean raising kids. That's work. I also mean um, going to school, right? studying school. That's work. Um, using a craft or a skill that you have, that's, that's work. Um, so don't just think of the negative, like oh, you have to go and type at your computer for nine hours, but also the things that we're engaged in and laboring in every day. Uh, so if that's how we're supposed to do it, right? and if creation has uh, an image of what work is supposed to look like, how does sin change that? How did sin break or ruin work? What do you think? Well, the fall cursed the ground, and so now you will toil by the sweat of your brow or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Genesis 3, right? The ground is cursed. In pain, you shall eat of it. It'll bring forth not good stuff. It'll bring forth thorns and thistles, Right? Uh, by the sweat of your face, right? You will you will work. So, what do all these things teach us that work has become? Work has changed. How, John? Well, I'd say originally it would have been part of the image of God because God created that was supposed to work. Mm-hmm. So when sin came into the world, then that marred that image. Yeah. Right. So evil kind of feeds off of good, you could say, essentially. And in the garden, that's what happened. Like you said, the curse followed him into the ground. Suddenly it was labor instead of just a work of love. Yeah. Right. So, so seize on that, right? No longer is it just a, a joyful thing. Now it's actually a burden. Exactly. Now it's hard. Steve. I have no idea. We didn't have any degeneration going on there, so I, I doubt that. <clears throat> so it was a pure. I don't know if anybody's ever worked hard, and when they finished it, they go, "Wow, I feel pretty good after doing that." You know, that must have been something like that, but to the superlative. Yeah, possibly. I mean, yeah. who's to say what work? Should have been. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're retired. You're done working. Johnny. Oh, sorry. we get glimpses. Like, when you're doing something that you really love, and yeah, you put effort and labor into it, but you, you have that feeling of reward and pride in what you've created or whatever. Um, and not to say that that's all the time, you know, with serving middle school lunch or cutting down trees, but but we do have, I mean, I think we can think of a time when we did work and it felt good. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's not to say that work is always this terrible, awful, disgusting thing. Gee. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Work, we, work has become difficult, right? And work has become self-centered. Right? Before the fall, right, God put Adam into the garden to work, but yet um, Adam was not disconnected from God doing his own thing. Right? This was part of Adam's work as creation to glorify God. Um, it was for God in that way. Um, and one of the things that sin does is it twists right, our perspective so that no longer are we doing something for God. Now we're doing it for ourselves. Right Now it becomes a selfish endeavor um, instead of a God-glorifying endeavor. Uh, another thing that Genesis says right, is that instead of you bringing forth wheat and barley and corn and stuff, now you get thorns and thistles. It's not only difficult, right? It's not only selfish and self-centered, but now work has become fruitless. Instead of you getting good rewards, right? Sometimes you do, you work really, really hard, and instead you get nothing, right? At the end of at the end of the day, right? You come home and it's like nothing has actually changed. Or at the end of the day, right? You have been seeking to instruct your kids and they learn nothing. Or you've been studying so hard and your brain just feels like a mirror bouncing back everything you throw at it. Right? All of this seems to, to show the fruitlessness of work now. That the things that should be fruitful, things that we should want to do, uh, no longer do we want to do them because they don't give us the same fruit and reward that they should. But this doesn't mean work is completely ruined, Right? There are still good things, right? Sometimes you, you put a lot of effort into something that you love doing and you get the satisfaction of a job well done. Or you go through the incredible difficult, incredibly difficult process of raising kids and you, at the end of the day, right, you have a beautiful child who loves God and, and is, uh, has good character, hopefully. Um, or maybe they're a brat, who knows. But still, like, the, the point is there's a payoff, there's a reward. Uh, something that we would not exchange. Uh, but because of the fruitlessness, right, the difficulty, um, we don't just keep working now because we have to. Because that's not the picture Scripture gives us. Right? Scripture doesn't say, well, work is terrible. Just do it for, you know, do the bare minimum that you need to do in order to get food on the table and to raise your kids in order to learn um, and then stop. That's not the picture Scripture gives of of work. Now that we are believers in Christ, so what does what does Scripture say about work, especially to those who are now in Christ? Yeah, do everything for the glory of God. That includes work. What else? Yeah, we're still obeying the original creation mandate. 
You guys remember a verse that says, let the thief no longer steal, right? But let him work, let him produce. Do you remember why scripture says, let the thief not steal, but work? What's he supposed to do with his work now that he's done it? Yeah, so that he has something to give to others, right? There's this picture now that even though work is fruitless, right, and work is hard and difficult, there is not only something that we can gain from it, but also we're supposed to use it for somebody else's good. That work is not self-centered, right? But scripture actually says work, right, produce, and then give. Use it for the, for the good of others, or maybe a, a negative way. So that was Ephesians 4, but there's another, this flip side of that coin, right, is 2 Thessalonians 3. If anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. Right, that's, in, in one sense, very countercultural to us today, right, that everybody deserves, you know, the bare minimum. Everyone deserves the basics. Um, but, yeah. That there is actually a sense where if you're not willing to work, right? This is not about those who can't, but this is about those who are not willing to work. Yeah, yeah. Look at Proverbs and how it says a little folding in the hands to the rest, right? And suddenly destruction. That's the the produce of sloth. Um. So if we're to call, if we're to look at work, right, as this aspect of loving God. Um, with our with our lives, right? As everything that we do, everything that we create, everything that we produce, um, how do we do that? How do we work in such a way to love God? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have the attitude. Paul wrote, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You have to have that, like the thankfulness. Mm-hmm. You have to have that. This is for God's glory. Yeah. It's got to be. Yeah, absolutely. It has to be for God's glory. We, we have an attitude of thankfulness, right? The fact that we get to work um, is a blessing. But what, is it, what does it look like to do it for God's glory? Right? That's something that we all would agree to, right? But what does it actually mean? You, you wake up in the morning and, you know, there's the list of tasks that have to get done. How do you go about those tasks for the glory of God? Steve. Yeah. 
that you're not focused on, okay, I'm just going to get this done, check the box, and move on. But there's actually a sense where, well, I'm going to have this, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it with joy. Right? I'm going to do it in such a way to show others, right, that there's something deeper going on. Jamie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Are you just complaining about your boss, um, or complaining? Yeah. Or or complaining about your kids, right? Or complaining about your your professor? There's lots of different uh, ways you can take that. Yeah. Absolutely. So so what would it look like to bring shame to God in our work? Shamming. Was that? Shamming. Sh- I don't know what that means. Shamming. Oh, man, you learn something new every day. All right, so don't, don't be shammy. Yeah, no. To, well, I was in the Army. You would look at some dude not doing his work and say, you're just shammy. You get to work. Yeah, shammy. Sure, yeah, mopping the grass. I heard it right? on... Uh, Vacuuming the dirt. Sherlock Holmes the other night, too. I said, I haven't heard that for years. <laughs> Interesting. All right, well, you we all learned a new vocab, so you can't go away today without saying you learned a new word. Um, yeah, so... so Goofing off, right? Or trying to do the bare minimum, or, or trying to make it look like you've worked, but in reality you've done as little as possible. Yeah, that's that's a great example. How else could we shame God with our work, Johnny? Not using your gifts. Not using your gifts. Yeah. So so. Are you speaking from personal experience? <laughs> So that's a good point, though. If you refuse to use your gifts or if you let the talents that God has given you kind of go to waste, right, that's, that's, you know, you have to be careful to not say, well, whatever you're doing, quit your job and go do what you love, right, or go do what you're good at. Um, that's not quite the, the point, right? The point is we all have gifts, and if we don't use them, what's going to happen? It's like a muscle. It's going to atrophy. Right, the gifts that God has given us are blessings that we're actually called to use for the good of others. But if you don't use it, right, it just becomes shriveled and shrinks, and you know it, it's not really useful to anybody. Gee, see you in. Yeah, that's true. Your job does not need to necessarily correlate with your gifts. Although it, you know, it helps. It also helps make the job more fun. Um, but yeah, you can use the produce of, of your job uh, for God's glory to use your gifts. So what if... Um, yeah, so, sh- so shaming around, right? not doing a good job, goofing off... Um, there's, there's one more that I think is really important, too. Another way that we get work really wrong in the sense that we, we're not doing it for God's glory. We're doing it actually actually brings shame on God. What is that, Matthew? Being dishonest. Yeah, being dishonest. Mm-hmm. 
So why, why, what motivates us to be dishonest? Selfishness. Yeah. John, what do you have to add? Lack of a fear of God. Yeah. Yeah. Matter of fact, um, you brought up Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 5 talks about that where the, the people feared God because of the voice from the mountain and the fire and the smoke. And then he says in verse 29, Oh, that they should have such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandment, that it might be well with them and their children forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So those are two two related but different things. So first of all, right, when we do things for our for selfishness, um, and again, don't just go right to well, my husband, you know, he was dishonest at work, and thankfully, I'm not like that. Um, thankfully, I'm not like that with my kids, or thankfully, you know, I'm I'm not like that with school. Um, we can do that with our kids, right? We can be dishonest with our kids in the sense that either we do what's easy um, and we let them off the hook or we do what's harsh in order to bring ourselves glory because we, we don't want them disobeying us, right? It's not about God. It's about us. Um, we can be dishonest with school, right? It's easy to cheat sometimes with school. Um, but all these things, right, there's a, a selfishness to it that this is actually about me. Right, my job is about me. My kids are about me. My school is about me. Um, my skills, my crafts are about me and how awesome I am. Um, that's the attitude, right? That does not bring glory to God, but brings actually shame on God's name. Because if we're called by God's name, right? If we're called Christians and people know we're Christians, when they see us doing this, what does that communicate? That communicates a lack of love for God. Communicates that this is okay. Right, it communicates a whole host of things that will not be a, a draw to people, so that they can come to God and see. Okay, there's something different about how they raise their kids. There's something different about how he works, or, or different about his crafts, or, or different about her uh, her motivations. Right, these things are actually a witness to the world that something's different. That we're not doing it for ourselves like everybody else. We're actually doing it for God. And then what John brought up, right, is that if you don't have a fear of God, that's also going to be evident. Um, maybe the positive way of saying that is that, uh, the I think it's the proverb, right, acknowledge God in all of your ways. Um, when we seek to acknowledge God, it actually is humbling because we start to see and understand that not only is our work not about us, it actually, we can't do anything apart from God. Um, so here's Psalm 127, one of my, one of my favorite Psalms. Um, Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's in vain that you rise early and go to bed late, eating the bread of anxious toil, because God gives to his beloved sleep. It's one of my 
all-time favorite passages because it's, it's a slap in the face to our pride, right? Saying, how, you can't do things on your own. Your work is meaningless without God. That means that when you go to your, your job, right, the things that you're doing don't mean anything unless God is also participating. When you're, you're cooking for your family, that doesn't mean anything unless God is also there and working. Um, when you're going to school, right, when you're seeking to, to glorify God, acknowledging him is not just saying, yeah, God's in control, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to busy myself and do what I think I'm going to do. Right? It's still self-centered. Acknowledging God means not just acknowledging, but relinquishing control and saying, well, actually, it doesn't matter how late I stay up trying to get something done. It doesn't matter how hard I work because if the Lord doesn't build the house, it's not going to get built. So the, the psalm teaches us, right, that it's work is only meaningful and productive when the Lord's involved um, and it also teaches, right, that work cannot produce rest. I think that's important. Work cannot produce rest. Uh, I think we have this idea in our culture, in our, our world, right, that rest is earned by working hard. Uh, whether you have, like, a, a narrow view of that, right, I work all day, and I get, go home and I get to rest. I've earned the right to go home and watch Netflix. Or I've earned the right to go home and, and put my feet up. Or maybe it's, it's you know, the week, right? I've worked hard all week. The weekend is my chance to rest, to, to finally get to um, enjoy what I've earned. I've earned Saturday and I've earned Sunday. Or maybe, right, it's 40 years of working. And you finally get to retire and enjoy the rest that you've earned. I think even if we don't say things like that, that's what we think. Right? We believe that rest is something we've earned. Um, that it's when we've we finally worked hard enough, we get to enjoy rest. So why do we think why do we think this? Why do we think that rest is earned? Sure, maybe it's a, a a product of how we were raised. But where does why would our parents teach us that? Right? What what led them to do that? And I think right, it's not just a generational. Every generation struggles with this. Why would we think that we earn something with our work? Doesn't that? Oh, Matthew. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We we have this overinflated sense of self. Yeah, Sasha. Okay. Yeah. There's maybe there's 
an actual biblical root that God worked for six days and then rested. It's a great point. Um, but we're not God. We, we are not, our, our work is not the same kind of work that God works. Although, right, when, he, um, when we talk about rest, that'll be really important is there's actually a pattern that applies to us. Um, but the question is not, does the pattern apply? The question is, do we earn it? Is it because of six days of work that we earn the seventh day of rest? And I think what Matthew said, right, is we have this overinflated sense of ourselves. Um, I think the fact that we think we can earn rest comes from the fact that we think we're in control. We, John. Or maybe the way John sees it. Yeah, yeah, that's the way I would see it. And then I would think then that um, because I'm here, I'm here because of what I've done. And that's not true. That's, again, there's where you've lost the fear of God. Mm-hmm. Saying that um, everything that brought me to this point was my effort. Not my effort. Yeah, it's not our effort. Yeah. We don't I think we just don't understand God's rest in creation. And I think if we get that right, then our rest is properly aligned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I think you're right that we don't understand God's rest and I think we just we don't understand rest either. Yeah. Because Right. That's his sovereignty. Yeah, absolutely. That's God's sovereignty and his gifts. Right, so if we, if we believe right, that we're in control, um, we're not going to see our work and our labors as something that God is involved in. Maybe God helps us, right? But it's really us. It's our labors. And so we believe that if you just work hard enough, right, you can earn rest. Um, and this is very, very cultural, right? Very worldly. Um, and it's an attitude that's not just found in America, but the, the Bible addresses it, right? The, the verse in one twenty seven, Psalm 127, it's in vain that you rise up early and go late to bed, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Right? It doesn't matter how hard you work. Rest is a gift. So scripture already is, is addressing this idea that we think we're in control. We think we earn rest when it, in reality, rest is a gift. Um, and it's a, if it's a gift, it's not earned. It's something that God grants us. And so we have to change our attitude of work. Right? If we look at work as what we're earning, then we're clearly we're missing the point. We're not going to work for God's glory because in reality we're working to earn something for ourselves. 
And you can apply this not just to rest, but to food, to shelter, to clothing, to kids, to school, right? This whole gambit of the things that we're involved in on a day-to-day basis, if we think we're earning things by it, right, you're actually not being, you're not focusing on the Lord and glorifying him. You're focusing on yourself and what you can earn from it, right? And it's hard because you get a paycheck, right? Or you see the visible fruits of work. And you think, this is something I've earned. But we have to constantly reorient ourselves and say, you get a paycheck in the mail, thank God. This is a gift. Your kids grow up, thank God. That's a gift. You pass your class, thank God. That's a gift. So we have to always be reorienting ourselves because our work is not about us and what we earn. Right? It's not about uh, how we can gain rest for ourselves. Ultimately, right, we glorify God most when we stop trying to control it. When we stop trying to earn something through our work. Um, so in the last few minutes, we have... Um, so we go wrong with work right, in, in a couple different ways that Scripture is very clear about. Right? Scripture says in 127, it doesn't matter how hard you work, you can be a workaholic, but that's vanity, meaning that's worthless. Seeking to, to earn things is worthless, right? doesn't matter how much you pour into it. Um, but then the flip side, right, that I think Gary brought up too, is that Proverbs talks all the time about the slothful person or Thessalonians, right? If, if you don't work, you don't eat. Not because you earn food. Right? But because God says, if you're not willing to work, you're showing that you don't care, that you're completely apathetic towards life, meaning you don't really care what happens. Um, and sloth, right, is... Sloth comes from a couple different places. Um, what, what do you think it comes from? Why are we slothful? Why, do, why are we lazy? Or maybe you're not lazy, but at least I know I am. Where does it come from? We love ourselves and our comfort. Yeah, we love ourselves and we love comfort. We love ease. And our sinful nature always has a degrading and a down, downward pull from what God wants in our lives. Yeah. Or, or, always that battle between the flesh and the spirit. Yeah, we're always at war. John. In a sense, yeah. 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 We're trying to reach the rest of heaven without actually working to get there. Yeah. Trying to have the blessings without the strings attached. Um, so why do, why would we avoid it, though? What drives people to avoid things? Johnny. It's just easier. It's easier. Yeah, but why do we not want to do the hard thing? Because it's hard, <laughs> yeah. But 
Yeah. Because when it's hard, you can fail. Right? We do the easy thing because you can't fail. Or at least it feels like you can't fail. We'd rather do the easy thing that doesn't produce anything rather than the hard thing and risk failure. I think it's fear. I think the reason we don't do hard things is because we're afraid. It's because we don't want to fail. We don't want to be looked down on. We don't want to do a bad job and have other people look at us and say, well, man, you're a really terrible worker. We'd rather preempt them and just be a terrible worker. <laughs> right? And say, yeah, this is just who I am. I'm just giving up. Because that's because I'm not willing to take that risk. Because when we work hard, right, that also means we're putting ourselves at risk of failure. You can fail the class. You might do a bad job. Your kids might turn out terrible. But again, this where is this coming from? This is coming from that same root as being a workaholic. It's that that believing that you are in control. That success and failure is dependent upon you instead of upon God. And if it's dependent upon God, that means that failure, right, is not necessarily this this terrible thing that we have to be afraid of and run from. Because if God's in control, then that means he has a purpose for failure. That means when you fail the class, yeah, that's hard and doesn't feel good, but maybe God's teaching you something through that. Yeah, you do a bad job even though you tried hard. Maybe God's teaching you something. Right? If we believe we're in control, yeah, we're going to run from hard stuff. But when we acknowledge God and fear God, meaning we look at Psalm 127 and we say, it doesn't matter how hard I work, and yet I'm still going to work hard because I want to glorify God. Right? The whole point of this is not to bring it around and say, well, stop working hard, everybody. It doesn't matter. <laughs> the point is, you should work hard, but not because you're going to earn something, but because... You want to glorify God. This is a heart change, an attitude change. It's a different focus. And when we focus on God, right, we see God's character. We see that he blesses our work. And sometimes, right, we do a terrible job, and God still gives us sleep. God still gives us rest. Not because we've earned it, but because that's who he is. Right? Our work becomes about God's character instead of our own. Jamie. Sometimes things just don't turn out the way you work hard. Um, and, you, and you do fail. You're talking about the, the job got completely messed up. Um, your kids didn't turn out how you thought they would turn out. Um, you're injured. You know, something happens even though you've done. You know, and that comes across it too. Where, um, and then we feel like it has gone not are we not honoring God? Is it because God hasn't blessed us that the mess ups have happened? And so there's a it's a struggle. I mean, it's a fine line trying to figure out are we being blessed by the Lord? Is it not being blessed by the Lord? Is it pride? Is it not pride? Is it right? Are we doing what God has asked us to do? Or are we not doing it? Yeah, I think that goes back to sorrow and suffering, right? The fact that the the wicked have ease and comfort is actually God withdrawing his grace from them, in a sense. Because God gives comfort, right, to, to the wicked in this life, but the end 
right? Psalm 73, he goes and he sees the end of wickedness and its destruction. And at first he struggles and says, well, the wicked get ease and comfort and I'm righteous and I'm not getting ease and comfort. What's wrong? Why, isn't God, why does God not love me? And at the end he says, oh, it's actually because God loves me more than he loves the wicked. Because the wicked end up in destruction and I don't. So I think that's also the same thing that when we fail, right, when, when things go wrong, um, we have to remind ourselves it's not about my work. It's not about how hard I worked. Maybe there's a lesson to learn about you know, putting in the effort. If you don't study, yeah, you'll probably fail the class, right? Um, but at the same time, when we acknowledge God, we're also saying things can go wrong, but I'm going to trust that God has a good, has a better purpose for it than I understand. Um, because if he's in control, which we believe he is, then success and failure are both dependent upon him and for his glory and part of his will. Um, and not ours. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard line to walk. And this is why we learn through experience. It's easy to talk about it in a classroom, right? To say, okay, now you have all the knowledge you should be set for the rest of your life, right? You're going to go and you're going to learn these things. Um, and God's a better teacher. Uh, and he has a, a better purpose. Because that's who he is. Um, Matthew. Yeah, Yeah, it is very hard. Um, And we're stubborn. Um, What makes you say that? (laughs) I looked in the mirror this morning. Um, Yeah, so so next week, let's talk about rest. Right? Let's talk about what is rest. Where does it come from? Um, And specifically, right, we're going to see that rest is a much deeper thing than just getting the weekends off. Uh, rest is rest is a product of salvation. Um, so while we pray and close this morning, and then we can get to worship in a few minutes. Let's pray. Lord and Father, uh, we thank you that you have been so gracious. We thank you for your mercy and your patience. And we thank you, Lord, that you have worked for us, that you didn't use your labors and your time uh, for your own glory and good. You used it to bless us. And through that, you get more glory than we even understand. Because, Lord, when we look at the cross, we see Jesus giving up his own life for us. So may you help us, teach us to give up our lives for you in gratitude. Not to earn something from you, not to earn rest. uh, But as we reflect on what you've done for us, that we might become more like Jesus, imitating him and seeking to glorify you with our time, our money, our energy, and our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.